ahead and take your Bibles and open them up to 1 Peter chapter 4. Uh, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4, 10 through 11. And if you want to use a few Bible, it will be on 1016. It's page 1016. Now, as, um, as you may recall, some of you who are older, we can um, see the incredible cultural mindset differences in the nation since the First World War. And I'm not suggesting anyone here is as old as the First World War. But you would still have knowledge of this by observing James Montgomery Flagg's famous work of the Uncle Sam poster. Does anyone remember the caption of that? What is it? I want you for the U.S. Army. I want you. And you could see Uncle Sam kind of getting that pointer finger, you know, there. He wants us. Now, when you look at that, it was calling us as a nation, um, and, a, and it, he was be, beckoning us to come and give oneself for our country in a time of great need. And there was also the one that I remember, you know, mostly is from World War II, because when I was a kid, I really enjoyed studying about World War II a lot. And so I still remember that poster, but, you know, I didn't realize it actually went back to World War I, but it did. So what cultural change do we see then? Well, we can see it in the motto of the army, in, um, or, or the, actually the slogan of the army. From the 1950s to 1971, the army slogan was, look sharp, be sharp, go army. I don't know, does anybody remember that one? I'm just curious. Okay, some people did. All right, great. So, uh, from 1971 to 1980, it was today's army wants to join you. Notice that. Today's army wants to join you. And from the 80s to around 2001, it is probably the most famous one that we all remember. Now, here's the thing. There have been mottos since then, but they really haven't grasped hold as this one has. And this one is what? Be all you can be. Be all you can be. Now, do you see the cultural shift at work there? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? Now, one has to admit that there's a great need that's going on from the First World War and even into the World War II. There's a great need there. You know, the, war, the world was at war. However, it's interesting how the slogan changes in order to bring people in. The army wants to join you. Be all you can be. You see that. So there's this shift toward this idea of almost, you know, it's almost consumerism. It's really about me. And we see that actually, that cultural mind shift change actually in the church as well. Um, today, uh, I was reading recently, and a pastor said that you, he said he thinks that the church's like slogan of today is this: "We're here to help you help you." And I thought, isn't that interesting? I almost agree with that. We're here to help you help you. However, we know, brothers and sisters in Christ, that from the Scripture, Jesus has a different message for the church, doesn't he? His message for the church, you know, is all through the, the New Testament especially. But in Mark 10, 45, listen to what he says here. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
This is what Jesus came for. And in actuality, that's what he is calling his church to as well. So what we want to do today is we want to review. We want to review a couple of weeks ago, we began a, a, a two-part series really on spiritual gifts. And as we began to look at those, uh, we, we set up a definition, and we stole this from Tim Keller. It's, and I think it's a good definition. I've read many definitions about it, and I think this one pretty much captures, I might would change some things, but I think it pretty much captures what we would, how we would maybe define spiritual gifts. And the definition is this, a spiritual gift is an ability that comes to you freely for the purpose of ministering to the needs so as to build up Christian community in size and depth. This does not mean that gifts only meet needs of Christians. They meet needs in Jesus' name as a witness and a sign of the coming kingdom. I think that's a good, solid definition for us to think about when it comes to spiritual gifts. Besides looking at a definition like this, we saw biblically that, number one, spiritual gifts begin with the belief and faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord, and they are gifts in the truest sense of the word. And so, in other words, they are freely given in Christ to believers only. Now, in light of that, we saw that the essence of spiritual gifts are not the same as natural talents. They're not the same. It's easy to confuse them sometimes because the Lord will use our natural talents from time to time in, in, um, in creating a spiritual gift. But that's not what they are necessarily. Uh, they could be something, and I'll talk about this a little bit later as we move along about myself, but, but uh, they're not to be confused with natural talents. They are given to believers only, and unbelievers have lots of natural talents. And they're amazing sometimes. Spiritual gifts, though, are different. They're given to the body. They're given to us for spiritual ministry, in other words. And finally, the major point of the text in Romans that we were looking at, we saw and we focused on the idea that spiritual gifts are given uh, to us for giving. The purpose of a spiritual gift or gifts we receive is communal and not personal. And I think that's one of the things that we need to, as a church culture, change in our thinking about spiritual gifts. And that's why I emphasize that point. As I studied, I saw this. I think most people will come at spiritual gifts and they approach it like, this is my spiritual gift. And it's like, well, it is, but it's not for you. It's for, it's for the other people in the church. So we have to have our mind think that way, that they are given to us for giving. And so today, we want to unpack this a little more uh, from a big picture perspective. So as to uh, learn how we may learn about our gifts and then work at actually giving our gifts to one another. So as we look at 1 Peter 4.10 and 11, let's consider the context before we read the passage. Now, you remember we went through 1 Peter not, not that long ago, but to the Peter's writing to the elect exiles, and he reminds them of their hope and salvation in Christ Jesus, and then he, he calls them to be a holy people. So he, he points to, this is what the Lord has done, now be holy. And then as he moves into the, through that second chapter and then all through the rest of the book, he lays out the, what the life of a believer looks like. 
especially in the midst of suffering. Because at that time, the churches were suffering, and he wanted to touch base with them and remind them, look, you're suffering. There's all kinds of things going on. And so what he's basically saying is, is no matter what particular situation you're in, be the church. It doesn't matter what the government's doing. It doesn't matter what the authorities are doing. It doesn't matter what the, the culture's doing around you. Be the church. Now, as he writes this letter, you have to realize as he's writing this letter that it's hard to be the church, isn't it? It's hard to be faithful to the Lord. It's a struggle. That's why all the letters remind us of that continually. You know, live this way, live this way, live this way. And so if you look at this from a personal perspective, as you are in your word, you know, on a daily basis, hopefully, as you are seeking Him in prayer, as you are coming to the table to the means of grace as we are gathered here and we're hearing God's word and we're worshiping together, as all those things are taking place, God, we should be growing more and more open to what God is saying to us as we read the word. And as we wrestle with, how does he want me to live? Uh, you could be a young child here, the children sitting up front here on the front row. You could be the oldest saint here. We're still all learning and growing and seeking to, to serve the Lord. So that's what's going on here. And so particularly, we want to focus today on spiritual gifts and what he says about that. So let's look at 1 Peter 4.10. As each has received a gift... Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And again, that's thrown in. Just We're in the middle of a thought there where he's laying out all these things. But in all those things, specifically here, these spiritual gifts, to him belong glory, dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. May its truth seep into our lives this morning, stirring us to, as I read in Ephesians this morning, um, Figure out what it is that we may do to please you. To strive toward that. To desire that. And so, Lord, as we hear these words this morning, work that in us. May we, as your people, gathered here as Christ Community Church, be pleasing to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, today... I would like us to grasp an understanding of the foundation of our spiritual gifts. It's going to be a little bit of a review, but I think it's necessary. And then what we're going to do is we're going to look at um, how we might discover and use our spiritual gifts for His glory. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So the first thing is, is understanding the foundation of our spiritual gifting. If you look back at the text, you see that it says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. The question then is, is why have I received this gift? Is it because I'm special? We talked about that last time. No, it, it, it's because you're Christ. 
And as you are in Him and He is in you, He has given you a gift. And if you look at it, we may say that we may rightly on one level have received this gift to to, uh, serve one another, and that's right. As I noted a few weeks back, there is more to it, which is of great importance in understanding the foundation of our being given gifts. We must uh, highlight the foundation here. So we are called to give gifts, but there's something more behind the scenes that we need to grapple with. And so when, fir- when Christ first came, how did he arrive? How did he arrive? We've just come from the season that we have been celebrating that. He came as a baby. He came as a child. And so what does that mean to us? Well, that means that he took on flesh. He took on blood. He took on bones. He took on a body, didn't he? He had a physical body. He lived, he breathed, he walked, he ate, he hurt, he grieved, he had joy. Uh, He taught, he evangelized, he healed, he helped, he served. And most importantly, we see that Jesus demonstrated the love of God clearly, tangibly, and boldly, especially through his sacrificial death on the cross before he ascended into heaven. The death and resurrection and the ascension of Christ are so important. They show us the love of God for us. So when we look at, and I mentioned this last time, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he says in the text, Paul says in the text, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And so when he says, now you are the body of Christ, it is communicating something of great importance to us. We are body number two. I want you to think about that. We are Christ's body number two. He came the first time, took on flesh and bones and blood, and now he has ascended into heaven and he calls us the body. We're body number two. After his bodily ascension, Christ continues his work in the world through those he has redeemed. The church now demonstrates the love of God clearly, tangibly, and boldly. We said that when we, when we used the affirmation of faith earlier, that this is who we are. That we now demonstrate the love of God clearly, tangibly, and bodily in this way. The church functions as the body of Christ. Now we find all kinds of various biblical aspects of what the body of Christ is, but today I want you to recognize this one as our main focus. Members of Christ's body possess a diversity of gifts suited to particular functions. If Christ has all these gifts of the Spirit, and He does, doesn't He? then we now have those gifts distributed among the church that all may experience the gifting of Christ. That is Christ's full work and encouragement that it may be um, displayed among His people and among the world. So, so what you see is, is as you see Jesus and as you study Jesus and as you see Him walking and breathing and ministering, that is how the church is to be today. 
Sometimes, even when it comes to apologetics and and various things like that, I feel like we get too caught up into trying to prove it exists. What we should be speaking of, and this is just like the Bible. Does the Bible ever try to prove God exists? Never. How does it begin? In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. And that's just all there is to it. It's like that. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. There you go. It's not saying, okay, let us talk about how God, you know, this God. No. No. We should live in that way. There is a God. And we live in that way. I've been going back through this, uh, this really for youth, and I'm, yeah, that tells you my juvenile mind and all that, but I've been going back through this series, this fantasy series. And to be honest with you, it's one of my favorite series of books. Um, it, there's a lot of like, like almost junior, it's not junior high, but older kind of relationship stuff going on that drives me crazy. But my favorite character in the, in the book is a prophet. And this book is actually published by PNR. And so it has reformed theological doctrine in it all through it, even though it's kind of like a Lewis thing where, you know, it's not God, it's this God called All Father, but it's, this, it's the theology is there. And I love how the prophet in the story relates who God is. It's, and again, it's just like, you know, you've got these people wrestling with all these ideas and all these things and death and all these tragedies. And he speaks as though, and God is sovereign over life and death. That is in his hands. It's not in my hands as a prophet. And he's this powerful prophet, you know. I don't have control over that. I don't know what the future is. He reveals it to me. And I think that, I love that. It reminds me of who God is and how weak and frail that I am. We as God's people need to live in that way before the watching world. God just is. I'm sorry you don't believe it, but He is. We don't have to apologize for our faith. We don't have to try to prove our faith. We are called to live in it and live it out. And so again, it's one of the ways we do that is through these spiritual gifts. As, as we look back to the text, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of very grace. As each has received a gift, to use, to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's... Did I, I'm sorry, I copied that twice, my fault. And so, so you get the point there. As Peter uses this passage, Paul confirms it as well in 1 Corinthians 12.4. So as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as God's stewards of God's very grace. 1 Corinthians 12.4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Isn't that beautiful? We are called to an interpersonal, Spirit-motivated sharing process to display the glory of Christ. We are the church, the body of Christ. We are called to worship together with one another. We're called to nurture one another in our our growth and our discipleship. 
And we are called to proclaim Him together in evangelism and missions. Those are the three things that if you were to just look at the three big aspects of being a Christian, that's what it is. Worship, nurture, and mission. That is what we are called to. And we have been given these spiritual gifts to carry out these duties in power and grace for His glory. Uh, Queen Victoria, I was reading a little bit about her last week. Her death was in, uh, it was on January 22nd, 1901. I read a little article about her, but Queen Victoria once presented boxes of chocolate to all the men who had served as natal volunteers in England's conflict with the Boers. And shortly after her death, a complaint was made by a number of the volunteers that due to a shortage of supply, they had not received their chocolates. Isn't that interesting? So the natal authorities requested uh, the English officials to complete the supply. They were told, however, that it would be impossible to do that. For all the boxes of chocolates had had an autograph signed by Queen Victoria on the box. And the queen was now dead. And there was no way in which the box of chocolates could be issued in her name. Folks, no true gift can be given from the dead. But Christ is not dead. He is not dead. And not only that, but He has made us alive in Him, both now and in the future resurrection. But He has given us spiritual gifts to be given. So He is not dead. And we are made alive through Him. And therefore, we can continue to give these gifts of Christ to one another. As a matter of fact, I would say we must. We must. We cannot hide them. We must give them. And so the question is, how do we do that? Linda, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, that brings us to our second point. Guidelines for discovering our spiritual gifts. But what is most interesting about the Bible's teaching on spiritual gifts is that there's very little, if anything, that actually appears in the Scriptures about how to go about discovering your spiritual gifts. That's interesting, isn't it? I'm still thinking through that. And probably, you know, if I study this a little more, I may come back and preach another sermon on this topic because I might find out something else or think through something else. But here's the thing about that. As noted by a few of you in our church when we sent out the spiritual gift testing, uh, there's problems with almost any set prescribed definitive set of steps toward the sin. It's very difficult. Uh, Tim Keller says, puts it this way. He puts it this way. The traditional approach leads people to test themselves in ways similar to secular aptitude tests. The problem with this approach is that it assumes that you know yourself quite well, but many of us do not. And I think that's quite true. Another thing he notes is, is that the jobs in a church often don't line up perfectly with one or two gifts. True as well. Someone may be a good preacher or counselor, but several different gifts could equip that person for these roles. And the same goes for most jobs in the church. So we see the dilemma here. 
How are we to discover gifts that we are to share with one another? Well, I don't want to totally discount or, or throw out the test that we asked you to take. I don't think that's right. I think it's an, a, one of the tools that we could use to help us determine that, and that's, and that's fine. But I want to say to begin with that that's not a foolproof way. And we should never just rely on that alone. And so today, what I want to do is I want to walk you through some steps that are probably much better at determining your spiritual gifts than just taking one of those tests. So I want to give you six things that I came across in my studies over the last several weeks from actually Peter Wagner that I believe will be of great help to us, okay? So the first step in this is explore the possibilities. Explore the possibilities. Now, the question is, is, what do I mean by this? Well, this means I would ask you to go into the Scriptures and study the key text of Scriptures concerning spiritual gifts. If you have a handout, you have a list of those. I gave them out a couple weeks ago as well. Uh, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the largest section in the scripture of those. And so um, uh, get in there and read about them, study them, look at the scriptures. Let me, let me challenge you in this way. This is, I'm getting, as I get older, the more and more I see this, especially in older Christians, you know, my age and older. And, and brothers, some brothers that are younger that I'm, I'm always amazed by. We need to take serious, you know, what it means to be a believer in our day and time. I, I think that if, if I could say anything to the overall church culture today, it would be that. Let us take seriously what it means to be a believer in this day and time. You know, I made a post, a Facebook post this week, and and one of our family members made a comment on it. And it was the quote by Sinclair Ferguson that God doesn't leave us where we are. You know, he, he comes to us despite who we are and then he changes us. And she made the comment, I wish this were true. Uh, um, I see Christians making Jesus in their own image. And I'm like, wow, that breaks my heart. There's some truth there, though, there, there isn't there. Christians often will do that. That's why it's important that we submit ourselves to the Scriptures. And so, here's the thing. Whatever the topic may be that you think, I need to really understand that more. Dig in. Seek it out. Explore it scripturally. Um, find some books on the topic. But also, don't rely on always on those books. Sometimes as you're reading the Word, um, it, it speaks to you in a different way than someone else who has read the Word and they're looking at it from a different perspective. Come at that. So don't just, don't, don't just abandon the Word, but seek the Word first. Get in there, then go through and see what other people have learned. That's why you know books are, can be important because it's other Christians digging in the Word to find out truths. But they're not going to find everything. So you are also called to be in the Word. So whatever the topic may be, I'm amazed, even at this spiritual gifting thing, to be honest with you, as I approach this, I have learned so much that I didn't know before. And I think Reformed Christians oftentimes just move past this really quickly because of the, the, the various gifts that are there. Um, I think we should dive in and look at this and look at God's calling for us. And so explore the possibilities. Look at those, those key passages. Uh, wrestle with it. 
Even the text here that we see um, in, in 1 Peter 4.11, we see some categories that are listed here in, in the text. Uh, speaking gifts and serving gifts. And some would say, as I was studying, that another gift category many believe that Peter alludes to in chapter 5 is ruling gifts. Because as he moves into chapter 5, it's almost like a different set of gifts are being talked about there. Although he doesn't quite put it that way. So here in this text, we see speaking gifts and serving gifts and possibly even ruling gifts. Now those categories are, are further defined and categorized in terms of prophet, priest, and king gifts. Because when you look at Jesus, He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. And so sometimes gifts can be, and it's, if you line it up, it's the same thing as speaking, serving, and ruling. So what does the prophet do? He speaks. What does the priest do? He serves. What does the king do? He rules. But however you divide these up and categorize them, remember that these gifts are not rigidly separated from one another. They, they kind of mix. It's, you know, I don't think God's that simple with the gifts. I think he, 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 he does a lot of incredible things there. Now, the next thing you need to think about is you look at gifts. You know, you might look at how they're categorized, but then you just look at the list in Scripture. And there's a pretty long list. Prophecy, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leadership, mercy, uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, distinguishing of spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting of tongues, helps. Now, some of these, we believe, are only for the apostles at that time. Um, the church, um, you know, in the, in the early church. And there's going to be a debate about that to the end of time. But what you want to do is you want to explore those and you want to look at them and say, where might I be gifted here? Now, as you explore them, you don't just stop there. Secondly, in Peter Wagner's points, is you experiment with as many as you think could be possibly yours. Experiment with them. Okay? Experiment with them. Here's the idea. Get in there. Roll up your sleeves. Figure it out by serving. That's what I think the Lord would have us do. He doesn't give us a prescription in how to determine the gifts. He just calls us to serve one another, doesn't He? What did Jesus say? I came to serve. And if we are the body of Christ, we should serve too. So figure it out. Figure out what you do best, what you enjoy doing. Keller notes that we can discern God's calling when these three factors come together for us. Affinity. What human needs do I vibrate toward? What are my passions? So I have an affinity that I'm, that I'm wrestling with. Ability. What am I good at? What do people say that I'm effective in? And then finally, not only affinity and ability, but also opportunity. What service doors are open? What needs to be done? Now get this. This is what Keller says, and I think he's absolutely right. He says this. I propose that in the church you start with opportunity. Why would he say that? An opportunity is you find jobs in the church to do. You just serve. You don't look at first at your own affinities. Why would he say that? Because if you only look at your affinities... You may never do anything. And again, I, I, let me be so bold to say this. I think that's not following the Lord. I 
honestly do. If we do not try to figure out our gifts, if we do not try to wrestle and serve in the church, I think we're disobeying the Lord. I honestly do. Because He's called us to be the body, to share our gifts with one another, to serve one another. We must explore the gifts. Now the third thing is this. Eliminate the gifts you don't have. Now that's simple. Eliminate them. I know I'm not gifted in this area. You know, now I'm going to pick on Amanda Rideout. Amanda Rideout will tell you I'm not good with children. Now, is being good with children a spiritual gift? It might be. It really might. But Amanda will say, I'm not good with children. You don't want Amanda taking care of your children. You don't. Unless it's an emergency. So, you see what I'm saying? She knows herself. And she's, I only say it because she's said it boldly many times in front of me and in front of others. And so, that's an issue there. She knows. I, whatever spiritual gifts I may need to have for helping children, that's not, that's not it right there. You see? So, eliminate the gifts that you don't have. Number four, examine your feelings. This goes back to the affinities, really, doesn't it? Um, if you think you may have the gift of teaching, but uh, you've been asked to teach, and then a week out you're worried sick, and you're you know thinking, oh my gosh, I can't believe I volunteered for this, and you dread it all week, and then you teach, and then you go over and over in your head, and you bang your your head, and you go, oh, why did I say that, and I shouldn't have done that, and and then you you teach again, and the same thing happens. That's probably not your gift. It's probably not. So, so don't, don't, don't do that. Examine your feelings. There'll be other things that you have that uh, you can share. Um, we can't look at gifts as being more important than the other. We can't look at it that way. Um, some of the most insignificant gifts are significant for the body of Christ. Not everybody's a teacher. You know, not everybody is, is, is gifted in that, in that speech thing. I, I can tell you, I mean, and I see some gifts here in the church that are real interesting. Dan, Dan Wallace is not here right now. But you have to understand as a pastor, when Dan Wallace walks into your church, I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, brother. Greek man here. What am I going to do? In the first couple services, I was nervous as I could be. That man I have found is one of the most encouraging brothers. He'll send me notes from time to time. There's another brother in here who I want to embarrass who does the same thing. They have the gift of encouragement. Use that gift for one another. Lift each other up. I mean, encouragement is needed, isn't it? And so once you see someone hurting, say, how can I serve them in encouraging them? See, that's one of the issues. Now, in, in terms of evaluating your feelings, I want to make one caveat here, okay? And, and that caveat is this. And I'm using myself as an example here. I remember in elementary school, we had a speech class. And I remember our speech thing. I don't know if it was a class. It wasn't a class, really. It was just, we'd give a speech. And I remember, not taking it very seriously, and thinking that, oh, I'm just going to get up there and tell jokes. And I'm going to tell you something. It didn't work. <laughs> you can laugh, but it didn't work. And I had never felt, I wanted to crawl under about four, I still was a little kid. I don't know, probably third grade maybe even. 
maybe third grade, I want to crawl under a chair. And so it was like, I'll never do that again. So I did. And when I got to college with a speech class, I'm like, great. And, you know, you have to understand, I'm going to Bible college, and I'm not, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, okay, I feel like I'm coming to Bible college, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stand up and talk to people. And I don't, I, no. Do you remember the, the story about the guy teaching, and he's worried about it for the week before and after and all that stuff? That was me when it came to speaking. And I remember, I'm going to give this speech, and I'm going to be done. But then, you know, you, you end up taking a preaching class. You have to get up in front of your professor who's been preaching for a thousand years. And all these other people, and they're critiquing. And you take the Bible teaching class where you get up and teach, and all the students critique you, and they help you in a good ways, but sometimes in hard ways. And I look at it, and I'm like, Lord, it was not a natural talent to me. You gave me a spiritual gift. Now, that's what I mean by be careful about your feelings about it. You know, the Lord guides. Trust Him to guide you and direct you. But be careful. Use those feelings, but also be careful at the same time. Because He may be calling you to push through some of those issues that you struggle with. And for me, it took, honestly, several years. But then once I started, it was like, I don't want to do anything else. This is what I'm called to do. It's what I like. Now, is it always effective? Probably not. But that's not the point. You know, lots of times it is. And that's what you want to do in step number five. You want to evaluate your effectiveness. Are you effective in ministry with this gift as you try to seek out what that particular gift may be? In Ephesians 4, he says he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. And so this number five actually connects to, in a lot of ways, number six, which is expect confirmation from the body of Christ. So when I would teach or when I would preach, there were a couple classes that I still remember this old saint said, that's the worst Sunday school class I've ever had in my life. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. And he goes, I said, why? And he goes, because we know all this, Patrick. You need to go beyond where we are. Okay, great. I had to change gears. He, he really helped me out. Because I was, at that time, I was used to teaching youth who didn't have any understanding of those elementary things. And he was saying, give me meat, not milk. He wasn't denying the gifts that I had, which was, I was very glad at that point. I'm like, I'm in this thing. What am I going to do now, you know? And so, so evaluate your effectiveness. Expect confirmation from the body. And this is one of the things, too. We're not what I would call necessarily a southern church, but we have southerners here. And so you have to ask people. So if you're a person and you don't understand southerners, you have to go and ask them, how did I do? Expect, oh, honey, you were great. But then you need to go, no, really, how did I do? Okay, let me tell you. Because Southerners are just going to be nice about it. Look, we need to be honest with one another in these things and encourage one another. So give an honest, or ask for an honest evaluation as you are kind of wrestling. And one of the people that can help you the most, and, and you may not want to hear from them always, but is your spouse. Your spouse can tell you some things that they see in you in terms of gifting. Ask them, wrestle with them. So those are the six things. Let's look at them again. Think about them again. You want to explore the possibilities. 
You want to experiment with as many things, um, with as many gifts as you think could be possibly yours. You want to eliminate the gifts you don't have. You want to examine your feelings. You want to evaluate your effectiveness. You want to expect confirmation um, from the body of Christ. Those are the things that you want to do to explore that. Now again, um, if you haven't taken one of those tests, it's helpful to take one of those tests just to kind of see what the gifts are um, and to wrestle with them just a little bit. But this is, these are the steps, I think, that we need to take as a body to try to figure it out and understand it. In conclusion, J.I. Packer says this. We have not formed the habit of defining gifts in terms of Christ, the head of the body, and His present work from heaven in our midst. Notice what he's saying there. He's saying exactly what I said in the first point. And I found, thankfully, I found this text after that. I'm like, damn, Packer confirms what I'm saying here. We have not formed the habit of defining gifts in terms of Christ, the head of the body, and His present work from heaven in our midst. In this, we are unscriptural. So, he continues, spiritual gifts must be defined in terms of Christ as actualized powers expressing, celebrating, displaying, and thus communicating Christ in one way or another, either by word or deed. And so in other words, use your gifts that you have been given to edify one another and to be a display of His glory to a watching world. Don't deny them, but discover them. Discover them and then deploy them. And let it be for His glory. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your love and mercy to us. I ask that You would bless us now richly with Your grace. That You would feed us, Lord, with Your Spirit. As we come to Your table, Lord, um, let us indeed be fed by Your grace and mercy, feed us with, with that grace and let us trust You as we learn and struggle and stumble along to live the life that You've called us to live. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.